welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And our show is located on the ancestral lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumseh-Sequatchie territory within the unceded traditional lands of Sequatchie-Ulu, and today's text, "Dark Rise" by C.S. Picot, is set in England. So we're skipping the territorial acknowledgement today. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if this text is going to get into it in future issues. Anyway, we can talk about it later. But I'm curious about how territory is being dealt with in this text as they start to think. There's some little allusions to people who live outside of the UK at the end of this novel that make me wonder Mm. where we're going. But I'm getting ahead of myself, Joe. Well, it's tricky, right? Because this is magical 19th century London. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. part of me feels like it's acceptable to step outside of a land acknowledgement because this is not really our world. Mm, That's true. But it's also worth noting that C.S. Bicat, the author, is Australian and someone who has written and spoken a lot about race in an Australian context, which is interesting because there's not a lot of that happening in the text. But anyway. Right. Oh, also, we should acknowledge that C.S. Paquette is non-binary, and therefore we're going to be using both he, him, and she, her pronouns for this episode. Yes, thanks, Joe. Okay, I know I have to do the plot synopsis, and I've been worried about it. You want to dive right into it, but first I just want to give a quick shout out and thank you to both Emily from Tasmania for originally recommending this to us. We talked about that briefly on a mini-sode, I think late last year, and then we also heard from a... Oslo listener who currently lives in Kent, UK, named Lene, who actually gave us their thoughts on the text. So we'll be folding Lene's reading into our analysis. Yeah, definitely. And um, Joe, this book is big. It's long. It's epic in scope. But it's also very dramatically the first book in a series. Like there's Mm -hmm. not a tremendous amount of resolution here. So we're going to do our best to talk about it. Um, mm-hmm. and not confuse you. That's all. That's my goal for today's Here we <laughs> so go. <not> be confusing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, Brenna, hit us with it. What is this book about? Okay. So this book, as Joe already said, set in the kind of 19th century magical version of England, primarily London and the outskirts thereof. Mm-hmm. We have effectively two protagonists. We have Will Kempen, who's an orphan. He's been running, trying to both evade and find his mother's killers for the last nine months right and then we also have violet who is the illegitimate half indian daughter of a sort of important person in london's trading community and she wants to follow in her brother's footsteps because he is quite high up in the sort of business dealings of a man named lord crenshaw or simon Mm -hmm who is not actually a businessman. Well, he is a businessman, but he's also evil. And and so what ends up happening is that Violet and Will come together um, and find each other. And although they've started on really opposite sides of a, a large divide in that Will is pretty sure he needs to kill Simon and Violet thinks she wants to serve him, What they end up doing is sort of coming together and realizing that Simon is a bad guy. And together, they 
become involved with a group called the stewards who are in charge of literally stewarding the light because mm-hmm. there is uh, an ominous return of dark forces coming <laughs> back. Yes. And folks, we should acknowledge that we are talking about light and dark in capital terms. Yes. So this is approaching biblical levels of fantasy. <laughs> You would be completely forgiven for confusing or even conflating a number of plot developments with anything from The Lord of the Rings. Yeah, it's true. And basically, at the core of the experience of both Will and Violet are sort of family secrets and lies. So Violet um, has been living this really difficult life. Her father uh, brought her back to England, even though... It means that she has to live with her stepmother, who is really resentful of the fact that her husband had this kid, this other kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, does she not like not super chuffed about that situation? Um, but what Violet comes to realize is that her brother Tom is a very powerful force called a lion, force for darkness. We think mm-hmm. maybe at the beginning, right? So really, the reason Violet's father has protected her and looked after her all this time is because eventually Tom needs to kill her to solidify his power. It's not like a great day at the races when she learns that information. Boy, yeah, because, it you know, she idolizes Tom. But then when she learns this, she suddenly has to reevaluate their entire relationship. Did he know that this is what her function was? Because he treated her with so much kindness. But is it just a matter of keeping the thing that you need to kill close so that when the time comes, it's easy to do? And then on the flip side, Will is realizing over the course of the narrative and then finally in a giant reveal at the end of the text that... Oh boy, twists and turns. <laughs> his mother wasn't trying to protect him at the end of her life. She tried to kill him at the end of her life because it turns mm-hmm. out he's actually the Dark King, I think. And, yes. Um, yes, we're dealing with ew. a lot of reincarnation here. Yeah. So Will is constantly being put up against both Simon. So Simon is the one that he needs to kill, thinking if we kill Simon, we can stop the return of the dark knight who has a bunch of you know minions and so on and to get to simon you would have to go through a man named james who will has a flirty vibe with even though it seems like they're working on opposite sides and of course james is almost his counterpart very powerful He's going to be impossible to kill. He's the right-hand man weapon of this thing. So there's basically like four different layers of power that you have to keep in your mind. Like, okay, so we've got the Dark King, and then we've got the sort of minions of whom Simon is one that serves him with all of his powerful trading. And then he is protected by James, who we have to get through. And I want to put a pin in this bit, Joe, that you've just raised, because I was fascinated to find out that C.S. Picat is queer because queerness in the book is mostly triangulated through the character of james and it's Mm -hmm. deeply interconnected with darkness and like evil so i want to put a pin in that and come back to it because i'm very curious about your thoughts okay but within this plot summary we also do need to say that the stewards there's a lot of them but the most important ones are justice who has formed an alliance with victoria and cyprian who has not yet taken his oath as a Mm -hmm. steward and really is suspicious of Violet until he's not anymore, until she proves herself. He's very worried because his brother has gone missing. What everybody but him seems to 
come to the realization of is that his brother is imminently going to turn into a shadow because it turns out that to get their powers, Joe, the stewards have to drink from this cup, which is actually an artifact of the Dark King, and it ensures that eventually they will turn evil if they aren't killed by another steward. Joe, there's so much going on in this book. (laughs) Okay, so I realize that this is probably so confusing to people who have not read the book, but I really like how this book... I don't want to say problematizes, but it it uses its twists and turn reveals to showcase how light and dark are forever intertwined. So in order for light, like the Stuarts, to combat the Dark King and his forces, they have to eat or consume part of the power that makes that darkness, and they themselves therefore become corrupted. And this all leads to the big end of book reveals which is of course that will is secretly a reincarnated version of the dark king and he didn't know it but he could feel it he could sense it it's part of why he was attracted to james because they had this whole relationship like a millennia ago back when they were in their original forms but this this idea that there isn't a good and an evil it's like oh we're actually constantly battling this within ourselves like we contain the possibility for both because violet could choose to become a lion like tom like her evil father and you know do this because i can become rich and powerful and it's everything i've always wanted or i could side with the stewards and fight in the battle against the dark king to protect the descendants of the lady who is where the light in the world comes from. So I love this idea that we have to battle things within ourselves or that we have the capacity for both good and evil. The only other important part for the plot summary is that all the stewards get killed. That's important. So at the end, we are just left with our core group of characters. And I think the text also really problematizes this idea that you have to imbibe the dark to be powerful because, of course, Cyprian is the last remaining steward, except that he's not really a steward because he's never drunk from the cup he didn't take the final step he's also the only surviving member and he's holding on to the light sort of almost purely so we'll see what happens to him in the second book Mm -hmm. but publishers weekly in their review they talk about like how this is a fully fleshed out realistically flawed group of characters Mm -hmm. but they also note that it's an occasionally wrote mythology and i think that that is a good you're like yes check (laughs) (laughs) or conversation because there's a lot of really interesting stuff complicated stuff happening here Mm -hmm. and there's also as you said off the top joe a lot of like light dark good bad Mm -hmm. and it's almost like the cat can't always decide when to lean into the complexity and when the straightforwardness of the mythology needs to sort of shine through and i am very curious Mm -hmm. to see what happens in the second book because i'm sure a lot of this is going to get worked out right and maybe this is when i'll bring in Linnea's criticism so Mm -hmm. when Linnea wrote us in to say you should definitely read this but also be forewarned the first book is weaker by quite a bit than the second book which i i you know see as a bit of a challenge because i actually really enjoyed this first book Mm -hmm. in large part because i was attracted to the complexity and also the number of times the book frankly got me you know i kept thinking Mm -hmm. i had things figured out and it seemed very predictable despite how sprawling the narrative was and how many freaking characters are trying to keep track of i found it you know a really 
pulse-pounding adrenaline read. I was flipping pages. I was staying up late to read this. Mm -hmm. And so I really like that. But Lene in their email says... I came away from Dark Rise quite angry because I felt the author had been let down by her publishing house. The book needed a lot more editing, it needed to be tighter, and they need to take out all of the repetition. Mm -hmm. The book keeps explaining to the reader what is going on, reminding us of what things mean all the time, as if the target audience is unable to work out things for themselves or remember something that happened 20 pages ago. It's absolutely infuriating. <laughs> so I don't I don't disagree with this criticism. Right. In fact, Joe, I have to say that I was very surprised to learn that this is not Pacat's first book. It, it almost reads as maybe I wrote another book, but this is the original idea that got me into writing. Yeah. To me, there's a lot of kind of first-time author flubs here. And okay. for me, the most significant ones are we nominally have two protagonists in Will yes. and Violet. But. But <laughs> the cat <laughs> regularly loses track of one to focus on the other. And by mm -hmm. the end of the book, I think it's clear that Will was our central character yes and maybe violet is the main character in book two and that's why it's set up this way like in fairness i don't i don't have that information i don't know sure but i found it very undisciplined as a book in terms mm. of like when it was focusing on who and when it was focalizing through who and i found that difficult i said to you it took me about 100 pages to get into this book Yes. Which is fine, because there were still like over 300 after that. And I, <laughs> 364, I believe. <laughs> and I did enjoy sort of everything thereafter, but it takes them 100 pages to get to the Hall of Stewards. Right. And I didn't feel like the stakes were clear enough mm. in those first 100 pages. And like, Joe, no. I cannot tell you the number of times I picked up this book, read three pages and put it down again until I finally got into it. Yeah. So that was a bit of a struggle for me. You know what, I can completely understand that. Because in hindsight, you know, when you messaged me and said, I'm just having a little bit of difficulty getting into this, I, I will say I immediately wrote it off as oh, this is because it's not really a Brenna book, there is a little too much riding on horseback and having to like, get to the quest part. I actually like the horses. <laughs> The horses were lovely, especially the horse that Will ends up falling in love with, which is like yeah. a secret magical steed. And I was like, oh, so cute. <laughs> but yeah, I, I do understand in hindsight, looking back, it does feel like it takes quite a while to get into the meat of things to the point where it's not clear where this is going or what is actually important. And I think that that's rocky when you're trying to get people into a big sweeping story. Like, I appreciate that Pakat, he's trying to set up the world, but at the same time, you need to help people understand what's important. Because in reality, the world is not that different until we get to the Hall of Stewards and suddenly it's, oh, magic. Yeah, and I think I think it's fair to say, oh, it wasn't a Brenna book, insofar as I'm not the target market for this book. And so okay. I'm perhaps not as open to or forgiving of the kind of tropey fantasy setup that's happening in, in the beginning. Like, mm -hmm. there are kind of 100 pages of we're both extremely special. Yep. <laughs> Everybody's so special. <laughs> we're, we're specialing it out over here. Um, mm -hmm. And it's it's totally fair to say that my my patience might not be that of another reader. Right. But I think the reason why 
it bugged me so much is because there's a really compelling story in here. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so I do agree with Lene's comment that like, we just needed it to be tightened up because right. I think I would have enjoyed this a lot more if I hadn't had that hundred page slog at the beginning. Yeah, it does speak to some of the challenges we've encountered in previous fantasy slash mm-hmm. sci-fi slash dystopia books, right? Where I think in part because we're not telling a traditional realist story, we do spend quite a bit more time establishing the rules and the parameters of the world, even if it's not incredibly different from our own. Mm -hmm. It feels like there is that tendency, oh, okay, well, we're telling a completely different kind of story, not grounded in reality. So let's go big and make sure that this book absolutely crosses the 400 page mark. And I think sometimes, you know, even as we saw in Alana, the first adventure, granted, written in a very different time period, but you can do big new world stories Mm -hmm. without having to say, let's get close to 500 pages. Yeah, I agree. I do think there's some stuff happening in here around tropes that is brilliant. Like, okay, my favorite is the unicorn. Devin. Mm-hmm. Yes. So we have the literal last unicorn whose horn was taken. And like, there's this whole underlying critique of the stewards that like, mm-hmm. they take artifacts and they hoard them. Yep. They, you know, like, there's some real like, British Museum energy happening with the stewards. And- 100%. <laughs> and, and that I think is actually getting us closest to even though we we sort of quipped off the top that there isn't a traditional land acknowledgement to me that was very much a critique of colonialists yeah. like oh yeah we're just gobbling up artifacts and we're not treating them the way that they should we're hoarding them we're using them for our own purposes and our own advantage i would love to have seen that be teased out a little bit more because i thought that that was some of the most interesting stuff happening like the critiques of the stewards to me mm-hmm. was the most interesting stuff and so we have this character, Devin, who is sort of frozen in prepubescence, he's got mm-hmm. like this like pale blonde hair and he hides everything about himself under like this sort of toque. And it turns out that, yeah, he was a unicorn. He was the last unicorn. His horn was stolen from him and he transformed into this humanoid creature. <laughs> pale teenager. <laughs> who can't really do anything, right? He's sort of trapped and he's trapped forever that age. Like, This person who he cares about deeply has aged 15 years and he can't. And and I really enjoyed those kinds of twists that Pacat puts in the book. Like, I think there's some real cleverness in the way she reinterprets narrative and existing mythology and trope. Mm -hmm. And I, I wish that there had been more energy on those stories and maybe less on the more like light versus dark kind of rote stuff. Okay, that's interesting, because we've got another character that we haven't talked about who will definitely, well, they're technically killed in this book, but their sister lives on and will Mm -hmm. become important. So Will spends the majority of the book believing that he is the last of the line of the lady, who, as we said earlier, is the person who brings light into the world. Basically, the idea is that the lady's line will be the ones who will banish the Dark King from coming back or prevent his ascent ironically so gendered by the way joe hey like so the, the feminine is the light and the masculine mm-hmm. is the dark and there's so much of that in the book in a way that i was like but 
<laughs> because i mean part of it is i i love when will is like i'm the last of the lady i am the lady and you're just like oh we're getting into some interesting binaries in terms of like fluidity and stuff but at a certain point will discovers oh i'm actually not part of the descendants like this is when he's finding out Ooh, i'm actually secretly the dark king but he has been courting a woman who is engaged to simon so that's the it's the rich realtor guy that we have to kill because he's got this important sword and he's controlling james who is super powerful and so on and will ends up going after catherine to get to simon to get information and she thinks that she's falling in love with will because he has this dramatic impact on her and they kiss and they basically activate a tree in the middle of winter that you know had no leaves on it and it blooms and initially we think oh this is will this is his powers this is his light powers activating and at the very end of the book catherine discovers will has been inadvertently or not using her to get to mm -hmm. simon simon has been killed at this point by will and then catherine is like oh my gosh you're you're a villain you're bad i saw you do this thing with the tree and that's when we discover oh catherine is actually the last of the ladies line she and her younger sister elizabeth are the end of this line which sets it up that okay so catherine is going to become super super important and she's gonna grab this sword and she's maybe going to do something and we just kill her. Yeah. She just gets fossilized. And yeah. like those kinds of moments were so genuinely surprising. It was like mm -hmm. all of a sudden you thought this character was this. Nope, they're not. They're actually not that important. Oh, and also now they're dead. Yeah. No, I agree with you that it was maybe refreshing is not the right word. But 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 Kat is very willing to kill off darlings here. And, mm -hmm. and, and that is satisfying in a fantasy book where you don't know where it's heading. Right. And in general, I didn't like Catherine as a character, so I was fine when she died. It was I rolling. felt so bad. Yeah. It was, was like, so you're a bit of a dum-dum, aren't you? And then, <laughs> and then she dies and you think, oh, the cat, you kind of got me. You know, yeah. good job, you. <laughs> <laughs> um, can we circle back to James and queerness? I'm very curious about mm -hmm. what your feelings were about those scenes. Well, so I would say, I feel like you're trying to set me up to say, mm, it is a little problematic how queerness is associated no, I'm not. I'm with darkness. And... Because that's how I read it. So I'm just very curious about, about your reading. Well, if nothing else, the part that fascinated me, because I, I had seen when we first decided we were going to cover this, that it was listed under LGBT plus mm -hmm. in terms of categories whenever you look up the book. And I was like, I'm not seeing this. Where is this coming from? And eventually we learn that James is another reincarnated figure and that he was a super powerful soldier for the Dark King. But it turns out that he was being controlled by a collar. So mm -hmm. the collar can only be put on one person. It's James or his uh, previous iterations. And once the collar is on him, he has no will. So he mm -hmm. loses all of his own agency and he's there to command by the Dark King. And and he's sexually mistreated, right? Like there's this whole undercurrent of abuse that James has suffered. A hundred percent. Like James has actually never been his own person. He's been 
a literal sex slave Mm -hmm. to the Dark King. And when Will discovers that that's who he actually is, and then at the end of the book, James comes back and says, you know, I will follow you because you're the only person who's ever treated me with kindness, who's let me go free and be my own person because Will didn't put the collar on him. Mm -hmm. And you think, oh, this is so dark. But Mm -hmm. I liked that Will's attraction to James despite their sort of history together is still one where you can tell he's interested in him sexually but he doesn't fully even understand it like in the same way that we're grappling with am i good or bad light or dark it's do i want this person or do i want to control this person so i did find the sexuality particularly the queer sexuality because the stuff between will and Catherine is not interesting from a romantic (laughs) angle you're just like oh it's unconvincing i don't believe in a love affair between these two it's just catherine imagining it yeah that's frustrating i found because um pacat leans into complexity everywhere else Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and in that that storyline it's yes you're exactly right it's not persuasive at all well i felt like she was cueing us as an audience to say don't buy into this bs because it's actually not important like i'm Mm -hmm. not actually going to do the work like in some ways yes it's a it's a bit unfortunate that Catherine never becomes a three-dimensional character in the way mm-hmm. that Will or Violet and even James to a lesser degree or Cyprian. Well, even Elizabeth is somehow more rounded than Catherine. It's weird. Yeah, but but it's one of those things where initially I thought, oh, it's because she's, you know, we're setting Catherine up to have this bigger role in the second book or, you know, when we get the reveal that she is one of the lady's last living descendants and you think, oh, okay, so she and Will are now going to battle it out in future books. And then Picat's just like, ha ha, no, never mind. She's done. <laughs> she did. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't know, that to me felt clever like i can definitely understand why certain people would read this and say there's just too much going on there's too many characters it is too tropey sometimes it is a little too binary oriented but particularly i found in the last act of the book when everything has been topsy-turvy you know all of the stewards are dead didn't Mm -hmm. expect it Mm -mm. all of a sudden we're down to just a handful of key characters and then we just keep subverting what we thought we knew of them and i was really there for that ride Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think the last act of the book is by far the strongest. I think the first act is by far the weakest. And I think the middle is mushy. Um, It's a little mushy. And I I agree with Lene particularly there too. Like it's hard to set up the world. But also there's a big chunky section in the middle where it feels like we're, you know, hanging out in the hall of the Stewarts and then going out and then coming back and people are getting fed certain pieces of information. And you're just like, okay, move it along, move it along. Yeah, it's an interesting choice that Picat often has Violet learn a piece of information, mm-hmm. and then we also have to experience Will learning that piece of information separately. Yeah. That and happens That's the reputation, right? Yeah, exactly. And I get it from the perspective of nobody talks to each other, and it's a giant problem in this mm-hmm. world. Like, nobody tells anybody the whole story. You just want to no. be like, could somebody sit down and explain the lore? <laughs> yeah it's so true right how much of the story could we move along faster if somebody actually just told somebody anything but i'm i'm first of all i'm surprised that this hasn't been optioned yet because oh my gosh it's so cinematic (laughs) it's extremely cinematic so i'm very surprised we don't have anything seemingly in the pipe that way and i am i am interested in reading the next book i think that Mm. my hope is that 
the cat will not feel the need to set everything up again. Right. We can start from where we've left off. I think there's a lot of good groundwork laid here. So yeah, I don't want people to think I didn't like it because that's not it at all. I just mm-hmm. think that it's it's quite uneven and Paquette doesn't always know how to handle having two protagonists, which is like, I mean, structurally very complicated. Yeah, yeah. I did see a couple of folks in their reviews comment on the dual protagonists. And I think it makes more sense at the outset because they are coming from two very different worlds mm-hmm. and it's useful to have their different perspectives or their reads on situations. And as the book moves forward, particularly because we're often alternating chapters, and some of these chapters are quite short, you know, yeah. they get a little bit longer as the book progresses. But sometimes you just think, I'm barely warming up to what Violet is experiencing in this chapter, and then it's mm-hmm. over and now we're back to Will. And yeah. Yeah, it sometimes makes it feel a bit stop-start. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Yeah, but I I agree with your claim that, you know, there is a lot of groundwork laid here. And if we take this, oh, the train has already left the station, Mm -hmm. we are barreling ahead, and we move that into that next book, which... Lene seems to suggest is what happens. I don't know if the editing gets a little tighter, but (laughs) it does seem like because we've done a bunch of groundwork, the second one can just kind of go from the start. Yeah. Um, The book only came out in November. So yeah, I think uh, I'd be interested to hear if other listeners have have stuck with the series. And um, Mm -hmm. I'd be very curious to know if you feel like it evens out some of those issues that we're talking about. Yeah. I wonder if we'll option the movie rights when the third book gets announced to kind of Mm. coincide with the publication of the final chapter or book rather. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. It's so interesting. Pacat has a series already out called Captive Prince Trilogy, which started as slash fiction actually on Oh, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, It was a sort of serialized slash on... Yeah, Live Journal um, went very, very viral, got acquired by Penguin Random House in 2013, and then the rest of the books were published traditionally. So obviously, huge fan base. Like, these are the kinds of things that uh, the media tends to love. And then also Paquette writes comics, so a series called mm-hmm. Fence. So I think, yeah, I think all the pieces are there for uh, for it to be a successful adaptation. But who knows? Right. Yeah, I'll I'll be curious because, I mean, as we record this, we haven't yet had the release of The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes on home video. Mm -hmm. But that movie really ended chugging along throughout the holiday season and made quite a bit more money than I think people were anticipating, which suggests that there is still an appetite for this kind of sweeping epic scope fantasy aimed at young adults. So we're not So we're up back into Hunger Games, Divergent, uh, Twilight, Peak Era again, but Mm. there's definitely still an appetite for it, which tells me, like, you should be looking at titles like Dark Rise and saying, okay, we've got three potential films, or if we want to cut the last one in half. (laughs) Well, and especially because I think we do have a really fresh approach to a lot of these ideas here, and a film will necessarily tighten up a lot of the... Yes. the repetition and and the rambly bits (laughs) so i'd be very curious to explore it but we'll see think of the secondary characters we could lose in an adaptation brenna (laughs) (laughs) i was just thinking they better keep my unicorn they would Um, not devon would be gone (laughs) guaranteed do you want to talk why bingo let's do it bingo not a good bingo 
Okay, there's a lot, Joe. We definitely there is a have, lot. <laughs> we definitely have both ableism and abuse. It's really fascinating. The backstories of a lot of these characters are like really rooted in abuse, but also like physical capacity is very important in this world. Mm-hmm. And I think that Paquette deals with that in interesting ways, actually. Yes. There's so many dead bodies, Joe. So many. So, so many. <laughs> we'll do a hollow romance for Catherine and Will. Mm-hmm. But we'll do a good friendship for Violet and Will. Yeah, I. it's definitely the piece I'm the most trepidatious about is whether Violet will turn on Will in mm-hmm. the future, because that was one of the things I really liked about the first volume is kept waiting for the reveal that she was a lion and he was, you know, a member of the lady's lineage. And, oh, we were going to have to pit them against each other. And then the book ends and you think, oh, we will, but maybe not in the way I thought. Yeah, they seem to be able to overcome that hurdle. But can they overcome the hurdle about him being the root of all evil? Maybe not. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> um, we have lots of magic and supernatural. Oh, obviously. yes. So, 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 mm-hmm. so, so, so much. We have so many chosen ones. I was going to say, we basically have competing chosen one narratives. So mm-hmm. many chosens all the time. <laughs> We have road trip by horse. Lots of those. Yes, indeed. (laughs) Multiple times there and back. I would argue that you can give a sexual awakening to Will for his burgeoning feelings with James, even though Mm. this is very much the beginning. We're setting up a romance in the future. Whether it actually goes there, I don't know. But they're not actually acting on it in this first book. It's so curious too, right? Because in that moment when it's all starting like will has the opportunity to confess the truth and chooses Mm -hmm. not to so like is james really acting on his own free will he doesn't have all the information yeah i would say answer no Mm -hmm. (laughs) i'm gonna say forever young because we're dealing with reincarnation brenna well and literally devon is forever young that is true Mm -hmm. i love how much you love devon I just, I was so surprised. It was such a nothing character in the first two thirds of the book. And then to have Mm -hmm. this like narrative about him emerge, I was just fascinated by it. And also, yeah, like something happened to unicorns. (laughs) Scientifically, Joe, something had to have happened to them. Oh, we're we're choosing to believe in unicorns now? Mm -hmm. Okay. We sure are. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I do think that the book occasionally struggles with inauthentic voice i think okay. the cat moves too quickly often between the focalizations and it can get quite murky i think that's one of the structural problems that's going on in the book unfortunately because i actually think will in particular is a very well voiced character mm, okay i can see it I'm also going to give it borrowed time because we only have a certain amount of time until Marcus, that's Cyprian's brother, turns and becomes a shadow. So we're we're keeping an eye on the clock. (laughs) Yeah, there's so much borrowed time. Nobody ever does anything at leisure in this book. Everything Mm -mm. is always a countdown. But you're right. That's the most important countdown. I mean, I would argue the reason everything feels like it's you know, happening so quickly is because we're trying to avert the end of the world. I mean, sure. But can't anybody nap? (laughs) 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 so brenna this is a fun interesting maybe final question that we have to answer is on our ya bingo we initially have something like a female director screenwriter Mm -hmm. or writer because we wanted to emphasize how often we're focusing on male written or created stories Mm -hmm. our bingo card is not inclusive from a non-binary standpoint no it's not and i i know from past experience that 
just saying female or non-binary is not the preferred way to approach Mm -hmm. inclusion in this space. So we definitely have some work to do on our board, I think. Yeah. If folks have recommendations for how you think we could address that, I would love to hear it. Mm -hmm. I do think we can tick off queer secondary character, though. I think there's actually a lot of undercurrent of queerness in this text. It will be interesting to see if that gets a bit more fully fleshed out in book two. Right. Yeah. Did that, is that a line, Joe? I wasn't paying attention. It is not a line. It's very nearly a line. It's a lot of squares, but they're <laughs> they're kind of in a weird order. Oh, man. We've been getting a lot of that lately. Mm-hmm. But considering this is a book and not an adaptation, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, We're really changing gears next week, Joe. <laughs> Well, yes, Uh, we're going to come back to a sort of grounded realist take, but we're going into murder mystery territory. We are. We're reading One of Us is Lying and watching the first season of the TV series. Um, Grippy for a whole different reason, I guess. That's the that's Mm -hmm. the through line. Right. Yes. (laughs) So if you are reading the Dark Rise series, I would love for you to write in and let us know what you thought of book one. If you think we should read book two, we'd love to hear all of it. Uh, mm-hmm. You can find us on social media at HKHSPod or on the hashtag HKHSPod. Joe, where do they find you? I can be reached at B Stole My Remote, and that's the letter B. And I'm at Brenna C. Gray. That's great with an A. And of course, if you have anything more long form or you want to be in a mailbag, you can write to us hkhspod at gmail.com. Also, I should note, if you want to be in a mailbag sounds a little bit ominous. <laughs> We're going to put you in a sack. <laughs> you too could be in a mailbag. <laughs> Well, if that sounds good to you, then you know where to reach us. <laughs> Until next time, I will see you on the page. And I will see you on the screen. And I'm Brenna. And I did not put up the land account. I thought you were going to do it from memory and I was nervous. <laughs> I hope so. I mean, the book only came out in November. So, whoa. Ooh, that's funny. Are you okay? Yep, I'm good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Hey!